without reservation, though we deserved his love not, though we did not merit anything that he has ever done for any of us, still freely he laid down his life, shedding blood, rich, warm, red blood like yours and mine. And he who knew no sin became sin itself, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The great God who formed the earth, who created all that was created, the great God who made us, gave us life. And his justice demanded that the sin of man be punished. But his mercy demanded that he himself find a way to pay the price of that sin himself not imputing iniquity to any who would trust him, but freely justifying all who would come to him in faith, seeking forgiveness and restoration. Amen. If you ever ask yourself the question, what is so great about salvation? What is it? What may we say about it? How may we begin to examine its greatness? The greatness of salvation is many-sided, multifaceted, manifold, like the glittering light from a beautiful diamond. But this morning I want us to look at just a few of the ways that salvation is great. And of course all of them come back to the focal point, to the one way that it is great in, in surpassing all other ways, and that is it is great in its person, the person of Jesus Christ. But let us examine what the writer to the Hebrew Christians calls so great a salvation this morning. How is it so great? First of all, salvation is great in its inclusiveness. Salvation is inclusive. There are some who would teach that salvation is selective, that Jesus did not really die for everybody who will trust Him, but that is not true. Salvation is available to all men, all who will may come and drink freely of the water of life. Jesus said, him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. It is great in its inclusiveness. It includes all races in Acts 10, 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. Salvation includes all races. And it is hard for us in our culture and civilization to get a handle on that. But God loves the one who knows nothing about him as much as he loves us. God has blessed and favored the western part of our world with freedom and liberty to worship as we choose. And yet God is every bit as concerned in His love for those who hate Him as He is for us. He is every bit as concerned for the rulers of the wicked nations and for their people who are oppressed and have no opportunity to hear the gospel. Whatever their color, whatever their language, whatever their politics, he loves them because salvation is great in its inclusiveness and it includes all races. It includes all classes. 
In Luke 18, 19, 9 through 14, Jesus told a parable like this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote himself upon the breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. It includes all classes, all economic levels, all strata of society are included in the salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ offers to all men. But the greatest miracle is that salvation includes me. That is the greatest miracle. I can understand the love of God dying for the wicked, for the grossly wicked, for the immoral, for the ungodly, for the mass murderers, for the tyrants. But that God could love me is the greatest miracle of all. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, John writes this, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And that life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Despite all, despite anything that you and I may do, despite turning our backs on Him, despite our unfaithfulness, if we believe not yet, he abides faithful, for he cannot deny himself, Paul wrote to Timothy. Salvation is great in its inclusiveness. It includes even me. And aren't you glad that the ground at the foot of the cross is level? The ground at the foot of the cross is level. There are no strata, no levels of superiority within the Christian faith. Jesus said, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what measure you judge others, you yourself shall be judged again. In the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, that model prayer, Jesus said, you have a right to pray for forgiveness when you forgive others. For he said, forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive them who sin against us. Salvation is great in its inclusiveness. It includes all races and all classes and all men. All of us. Salvation is great in its deliverance. Romans 7, 24 and 25, Paul wrote this. 
O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Salvation is great in its deliverance. This deliverance is threefold. We shall be delivered in this life from the power of sin. 1 Corinthians 10:13. Paul wrote, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. We have the promise of God that life cannot put anything on us that we cannot bear through His presence, through His power, through His companionship with us. We shall be delivered in this life from the power of sin. In the life to come, we shall be delivered from the penalty of sin. John 1.29 John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then in Hebrews 9, verse 26, The writer to Hebrews says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world he has appeared to put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. And then in 1 John 1, 7. John writes, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We shall be delivered from the penalty of our sins. Every one of us deserves nothing at the hand of God other than hell. There is no no way that we can purchase salvation. There is nothing that we can do to earn it or merit even the littlest part of it. But by the sacrifice of Himself, through the shedding of His blood, we shall be delivered from the eternal damnation and penalty of our sins. But then it is glorious to realize that in the life to come, not only shall we be separated from the penalty of our sins, but we shall be separated from the very presence of sin. We shall abide with Him in a new place, a new way, a place where not even the hint of sin is present. Where it is not there, not only shall we be free from it and its penalty, but it shall not even be there as an influence, as a presence. We shall be delivered from the very presence of sin. 
salvation great in its inclusiveness and great in its deliverance. But salvation is great in its power, for it has power to change a life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul writes, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You as a Christian do not have to struggle to be what you ought to be. There is a struggle, but the struggle is between the Holy Spirit of God and the enemy of God, Satan. What is your place? Your place is to reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. Paul wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In Galatians 6, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul writes again, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And if you are struggling within yourself to please God, you're fighting a hopeless battle and you're fighting a useless battle because it has already been fought and it has already been won. There is power to change a life. There is power to strengthen. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. You're familiar with it. Paul talking about his affliction, whatever it was, and he says this, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He has power to strengthen. There is no situation that he cannot handle. Salvation is great in its power. Power to change. Power to strengthen. Salvation is great in its peace. Psalm 119, 165 makes a flat statement of fact. And that fact is, and I quote, Great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace. It is great in its peace. There is the peace of mind. The peace of contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith 
be content. And then over in Philippians 1, Philippians 1, or Philippians 4, rather, verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak with respect to want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It is not the lot in life of any Christian to have to keep a stiff upper lip and endure life. That's not what God promises. What God promises is a peace beyond knowledge, a great peace, a peace that defies understanding, that brings contentment of heart no matter what the circumstance. Peace of mind. And then there is peace of heart and soul in Acts chapter 10. Verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, for He is Lord of all. So the salvation is great, not only in its inclusiveness, its deliverance, and in its power, but it is great in its peace. And the word of God does not admit the possibility of a converted Christian not having peace. For it says, Great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Not only is it great in its peace, it is great in its provision. You know, sometimes we get the idea that the provision God has for us is merely the provision of eternal life. And that while we're down here on this earth, we've got to look out for ourselves. That's not true. That's not true. God cares. God knows what we need. And God cares very much. In Luke 12, Luke quotes Jesus as saying, Don't beg when you pray, for when you come to God and pray, your Father in heaven already knows what you need before you even ask Him. Matthew 6, 33, the Lord Jesus makes a promise, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Salvation is great in its provision, and the great God provides for us now in this life guidance, comfort, material needs, whatever we need, he will provide because He loves us enough to have given His Son to die in our place. But there is also provision for eternity. 1 John 5, 13. John writes, These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. His provision is for eternity. And that provision is of a perfect place. For in Revelation 7, beginning with verse 13, John describes it to us a little bit. 
He says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these who are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they who came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne shall dwell among them, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Salvation is great in its provision of a perfect place, a place of no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more tears, nothing, nothing to hurt, nothing to destroy. Nothing to cause pain because the great God has provided a perfect place for a prepared people. Then I would note that salvation is great in its privilege. The privilege of salvation is that we might share that good news with other people. Have you ever wondered why it was God left you here after you were converted? Well, it wasn't because he needs our help in taking care of the world. The Lord can do anything he wants to do. It wasn't because he wanted to commit any of his functions to us. For his glory, Scripture says, will he share with no man. Why did God leave you here? He left you here for one reason. One reason. And that is to tell other people about Jesus. And to the extent that your life is a public witness for Christ, your success is a Christian. To the extent that your life is not a public witness to the loss for Christ, you're a miserable failure in Christ. For God has left you here for one reason. He has not committed judgment to you. He has not committed it to me. He has not given you any privilege, any right, any power, any responsibility except the responsibility to tell other people about Jesus. Salvation is great in its privilege. What is it that the church can do for the world that no one else can do? Education is taken care of in other ways, though the church is deeply involved in education. Social uh, benefits are taken care of in many ways in society, though the church is compassionate and cares and shares with other people. What is it that we can do that no one else can do? That is, share Jesus Christ with a lost world. And that is the privilege of salvation, to share it. Salvation is God's own work, and He has committed that work the ministry of reconciliation between God and a lost world to us. And if your attention as a Christian is diverted away from the work 
of personal evangelism, you're a failure as a Christian. For the responsibility of every one of us is to share Christ with those who need us. I cannot quote the poem, but I remember it from years back when I first heard it, and the essence of the poem was this. What if your life was the only Bible that another person ever read? What if the lost whom you contact formed their image of God from your life? Would they find there the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God? Or would they find unholy and ungodly impatience, unforgiveness, vengeance? What would they find? Salvation is great in its privilege. Its privilege is also its responsibility, which is to share the good news about Jesus Christ with a lost world. What's so great about salvation? It is the only possession worth having. It is the only thing that makes life make sense. It is the only way to God and the only escape from judgment. Know how great a privilege to share around the foot of the cross on level ground that Christ can forgive, can save, can restore, can bring life out of death and peace out of turmoil and joy out of sorrow. What's so great about salvation? May we pray. Father in heaven, forgive us when we allow our attention to be diverted from the one and only thing that you've given us the right to do in this life, which is to share with a lost world the good news about Jesus. God, we read your word with fear and trembling for it says that judgment always begins at the house of God. Father, we're accountable because we're sinful. We're accountable because we've allowed our attention to be diverted away from the one thing you've told us to do. Father, your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. Your love is a match for all of our sin. Your forgiveness cannot be exhausted. And I pray on my behalf and on behalf of every member of this church that you would forgive us where we have turned away from what John calls our first love and have ceased to do the first things first. Father, give us a vision of what we were without you. And perhaps when we see what we are, we cannot then condemn others. Give us a vision of what the lost are apart from you and what their destiny is unless they trust you. And then, Father, give us a vision of what they can be as we share with them the precious love that you've shared with us. 
Father, show us a glimpse of the greatness of salvation. Give us a desire stronger than any we have to share that greatness with others. Lord, we're delighted that you've included us. We're delighted that there is deliverance and power and strength. We're delighted that you've provided for us. We're delighted that you allow us to be a part of your work. Father, I pray not that we be successful. You never commanded anybody to be successful. I pray that we be faithful, for Scripture says it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Father, give us grace to leave the consequences of our lives to you. Give us peace to trust you for